good to see you all. It's good to be with you where we get to open God's word together and be transformed by his spirit together, where we proclaim together uh, the wondrous glory of God. Isn't it crazy how when the church gathers, we are putting on display the wisdom of God to the onlooking world. There's something that happens when we gather together where God's wisdom is being displayed. And so I'm so glad to do that together with you. In fact, there's no better place I would want to do that than right here with you all. I wonder in the world today as you view it, I wonder in relationships as you look at it, in business relationships and personal relationships, I wonder what does commitment look like? like in your life. Sometimes people use the criteria for relationships, fool me once, shame on me, or shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, right? Implying that uh, we shouldn't be giving people second chances. My question this morning is, should that be the, the standard that we should look at? I, I would actually would suggest absolutely not. My family and I were at a wedding uh, some time ago, and the couple decided to write their own vows instead of the, using their own traditional vows. Um, and that's great. My, my wife and I did the same thing too. Uh, at this wedding, uh, the vows were summed up like this. You make me laugh, we get along, and we're already living together, so not much is going to change at this point. Uh, I have no problem with, with writing your own vows. Jennifer and I wrote our own vows, but, but included in vows, we are to have, you know, things like from this day forward, either good or bad, either rich or poor, either in sickness or in health, till death do us part. There's something so much stronger in that type of covenant promise than, well, you make me laugh and we love our dog literally was, was one that we just recently went to. Do you ever wonder about God's commitment to his people? What do God's commi or commitment vows look like compared to ours that we make? Well, that's what I want to look at this morning together. Uh, we've been marching through the book of Exodus, and, and, and we've been going every single week, chapter by chapter, and, and we are now in Exodus chapter 6. And so I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open up to Exodus chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, that's no problem. Inside your sermon notes, inside the bulletin, is the whole chapter of chapter 6. Everything we're going to be looking at this morning. We want you to be able to look at it also. And we've been calling this series uh, Exodus, the Gospel of the Old Testament. And we've seen that God's people were in trouble. They were slaves in Egypt. These Hebrew babies were being murdered and God saved Moses. He met with Moses and then he sent Moses to deliver Israel out of slavery from Egypt. And Moses met with Pharaoh and it went really bad. Okay, it went horribly. But God, as we looked at last week, is preparing to display his power and deliver his people. And what we see in the book of Exodus is that salvation is all from God by his power, in his mercy, by his plan, for his glory, and for our good. And so we've been also looking at our 
verse of the series where we are trying to memorize a verse that we think is going to be helpful in our understanding of the book of Exodus, and that's Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. Let's say that together. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Uh, it's just so happens that we're in chapter 6, and we're going to see exactly what God is doing when we are trying to memorize that verse. Uh, let's pray as we open up God's word. Lord, we ask that you would remind us that even when our faith is close to failing, God, you will hold us fast. That you will bring us to endless life, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have promised and accomplished in Christ. So Lord, would you use Exodus 6 this morning to remind us of your good promises? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I like to get a roadmap of where I'm going. In fact, I'm, I'm headed out later this afternoon for a conference, and it's, I'm stressed out a little bit about it because I haven't looked up the directions on my phone yet for 15 times. And so I always like a roadmap of where we're going, and so I want to give you a roadmap of where we're headed this morning in God's Word so that if you remember nothing of what else happens today, this is what we want to walk away thinking and living towards. Our ill-equipped selves highlight God's unstoppable power. So trust God's plan by obeying his word. That's what we want to walk away from. If, if with nothing else this morning, this is what we want to be able to walk away with. Our ill-equipped selves highlight God's unstoppable power. So trust God's plan by obeying his word. We're going to look at this kind of just in two parts. Exodus 6 verses 1 to 13 and Exodus 6 verses 14 through 30. Uh, and so we're going to look at just kind of those two parts. We're really glad that Peter already read Exodus chapter 6 for us. So I don't have to reread all those things again. Um, but let's look at God's continued covenant promises. This first half of Exodus chapter 6. Last week we left uh, with God's answer to Moses saying, get ready Moses, here it comes. Here comes my power to be displayed. And so it's helpful for us that, that in, in Exodus 6 uh, verse 1, that it isn't speaking about Pharaoh's strong hand, but actually God's strong hand, that when Pharaoh experiences it, Pharaoh will send them out. Because of God's strong hand, Pharaoh will drive them out of his land, pleading for them to leave. So Pharaoh is saying no right now, but once God shows his hand, Pharaoh will change his tune. But before God sent Moses back to Pharaoh, God reminded Moses of the important reality of who God is. He is Yahweh. He's the one who appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. God showed that he is already God Almighty. Uh, don't let verse 3 trouble you if you're wondering, well, what name exactly did Abraham know God as? Uh, I, I actually think that, that verse 3 might be a little bit more helpfully translated. By my name, the Lord, did I not make myself known to them? 
And so it, it's, it's easy to, to, to figure, try to figure out, is it a question? Is it actually a statement? And, and so I think it's better and more practically understood almost as a rhetorical question than as a statement. Who Abraham and Isaac and Jacob trusted then is the same God that Moses now has to trust to the point of God that he's saying, he's reminding Moses of what God did for Abraham and for Isaac and for Jacob and that he's trustworthy. That's part of why God's bringing up Moses' ancestors. He's saying, I am the same God who did this in their lives and this in their lives and this in their lives and therefore I'm the God who will do this in your life also. So God made a covenant with them to bless them. God's covenant with them wasn't for them to be slaves forever, but to be gods forever. To literally be God's people forever. God's covenants are for blessings, not burdens. God brings us into covenant with himself, not to be a party pooper, but to protect us, to keep us, to transform us, to bless us, and to be abundantly good and gracious towards us. And out of all the people in the world, God first picked Abraham. God promised Abraham he would make him into a great nation. God promised Abraham that he would bless him and be committed to him. Uh, so, so when God says, remember my covenant with I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we should remember the covenant that God made with Abraham back in Genesis 15. So I'm not sure if you remember, I, I always found it fascinating as a teenager where you see like maybe one of the bloodiest chapters where Abraham takes a cow and a goat and a ram and, and a turtle dove and a pigeon and he slices them in half, okay? You can just imagine blood spilling everywhere. And then Abraham cuts them in half and then spreads them out, okay? And then after the sun goes down, God, who's described as a flaming torch, right? Not too different from a burning bush that we've already seen. God, described as a flaming torch in Genesis 15, he walks between the two pieces of the animal carcasses uh, and he, God is literally making or cutting a covenant with Abraham. And so God is saying as he's walking between these dead animal carcasses, if I fail to uphold my promise, if I fail to do the covenant that I have promised to you, then what has happened to those animals, then let it be happening to me. That is God's promise. That's God's covenant promise to Abraham. And so when, when God says that he established his covenant with Abraham and Abraham's offspring, God is saying that his covenant promises are still happening. He remembers his covenant promises to Israel in verse five. He hasn't forgotten, though his timing aligns with his will and not Israel's will. But, God, but, uh, but even with all of God's promises, Israel needs more than to just know that God remembers his covenant promises. They need to remember how God's promises are going to look towards them. So that's really exactly what verses 6 through 8 of Exodus 6 are all about. God is re-proclaiming his covenant promises. He's reminding them what they can expect from God so that they would not lose hope. And so beginning with a very standard covenant-making form, God identifies himself as the one who's establishing this covenant, right? I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh, verse 6 says. 
And then the rest in verses six through eight, God proclaims his covenant obligations, all the promises that he's made. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. And then he finishes his covenant proclamation with who he is one more time. I am the Lord. And he does that so that the name of the Lord is as if we are remembering the promises of the Lord. So that when we hear Yahweh, when we hear God Almighty, we should be remembering and thinking God's promises to his people, God's faithfulness to his people, because his name is tied to his promises. Considering what Pharaoh did in Exodus chapter five last week, right, adding all the burdens to to Israel, keep making your quota without having straw, Keep, keep making the burdens worse and worse and worse. Considering what Pharaoh did in Exodus 5, God relieving the burdens of Israel, that's a big deal. Look how God, in his covenant in verse 7, delivers his people from slavery to himself. They will be my people, Yahweh says. And he will be their God and they will know him and know his power. How incredible is that? God isn't making these promises to Egypt. Egypt will know Yahweh's power, but not in a covenantal way, not in a redeeming or delivering way, but in a judgment way. By the way, the language that that God is using with Israel is the same language he uses with us in Revelation 21.3, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, where God is not just a God, he is our God. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, Revelation 21 says. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Then in verse 8, with all of God's promises, He doesn't stop. Not only does he promise to redeem his people, not only does he promise to deliver them to himself, not only do God's people know him and his power, but they also know his covenant blessings. See, part of God's covenant blessing for Israel was to be in God's place with God, his promised land, and in relationship with him under his rule and blessings. God's covenant promises are meant to bring hope in our trials. God's covenant promises encourage us to trust him even when we're scared and to have confidence in him even when we feel broken down. Reminding one another of our covenant with God and with each other is very important as we walk in trials and in deep, dark valleys reminding one another of God's covenant with us and our covenant with each other is very important as we walk in trials and in deep, dark valleys.
Think back to last week when we took the Lord's Supper together. Jesus took the bread, representing his body, calling us to eat of it. He took the cup after that and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so instead of needing to cut up bulls and goats to remember our covenant with God, God has established a new covenant with his people. This new covenant is not one where God's law is written on stone tablets, but one where God's laws are written on our hearts and on our minds. In fact, the greatest part of this covenant with us is that it was God himself who poured out his blood for us. God promises in his covenant to remember our sins no longer. Think about that. Every single thing you've ever done wrong or ever will do wrong or are doing wrong right now in God's covenant with him in Christ, all of it is satisfied. God doesn't, he, he, he doesn't keep you distant from him because of Christ's blood. In fact, Christ offered for one time, for all time, one sacrifice of himself. And by his single offering, he has perfected for all time, the writer of Hebrews says, those who are being sanctified. This is the new covenant that believers live under. It is in this context where then we say, how do we consider to stir up one another to loving good works? This is the covenant context for why we don't stop meeting together. This is the new covenant context in which we walk together in brotherly love. And every time we take the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming that we are God's people. We are proclaiming that God has delivered us and that we are in covenant with him and are continuing that covenant with him. It's really interesting why God has given his church two different ordinances. And both of these ordinances are tied to God's covenant promise. And so, so this initial walking with God this, that we see is in baptism. Uh, baptism is the, the, is the picture of God and us establishing our, our, our covenant together. That God has already saved us and this ba- picture of baptism is what God has done in our hearts. But then the Lord's Supper is a continuing ordinance. It's one that continues to display and show that we are God's people. That we are still in covenant with him. And that we are continuing to trust him no matter what comes our way. That's one reason why here at Friendship Baptist Church, we actually ask that only Christians take the Lord's Supper. I'm not sure if you've ever considered that or wondered about that or why that was, but we do that because the Lord's Supper is an important picture of God delivering us. The cup that we drink is to remember God's covenant of his blood poured out for us. We as a church also have a church covenant that we make together. In fact, this morning at our business meeting, we read the church covenant before even the business meeting began, reminding one another that we are living the Christian life together, that we are committed to one another, and that we are God's people who are to walk with each other in both good times and hard. 
our covenant together, reminds us that we are God's people together here at Friendship Baptist Church, helping one another walk the Christian life, knowing that sin really is deceitful, and that often we are too easily able to find specks in other people's eyes and are blind to the logs in our own eyes. And so our covenant together reminds us that we are with each other, not just in good times, but especially in hard times. Our covenant together reminds us that, uh, that we are going to work for the good of one another together. I know not everyone here this morning is a gospel partner, but I thought it'd be really good for us to hear this morning of what it is that gospel partners are committing to in the church covenant. And so I've actually asked Austin, Austin, would you grab the mic right here? Would you read to us the church covenant together that, that gospel partners make together? I don't want you guys to hear this commitment both to God and to ourselves as Austin reads it. <clears throat> having committed ourselves to Jesus Christ and having experienced the acceptance, forgiveness, and redemption of God our Father and having been led by the Holy Spirit to this part of the body of Christ, we covenant together as members of Friendship Baptist Church that with God's help through the guiding presence of the Holy Spirit, we will love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and trust his promises and obey his commands. We will uphold the Bible as the inspired word of God and as the foundation of our faith and actions. We will be faithful stewards of our resources and abilities in sharing the gospel with people of all nations and with one another. We will rejoice with each other in times of joy and sacrificially aid one another in sickness and distress. We will be honest and trusting with each other. We will be forgiving and quick to reconcile our differences. We will seek by Christian example and personal effort to win souls to Christ and to engage their growth toward Christian discipleship. We will be faithful in our ministry of worship, witness, education, fellowship, and service. Thanks, Austin. Christian, how can our lives reflect more of that very covenant that we as gospel partners make together? Christian, in what ways might our love in committing to one another like this display the gospel more prominently in our lives? how deeply encouraging God's covenant promises are to us as well as our covenant promises together. That you're not alone, that God has sent this entire body to you for your sake and for his glory. But notice in verse nine of chapter six, God, or Moses spoke these deeply important words to Israel. But do you notice what, what happened there? Israel didn't have ears to hear it. The promises of God are so good, why didn't they hear it? Well, our passage says because their spirits were broken from the harsh slavery that they were in. Friends, sometimes even the greatest news in the world doesn't encourage us when things in our lives are so horrific. Sometimes there is pain so great we are numb to encouragement and deaf to hope. 
And this is a really important reason for why when people are suffering, why we should not simply only speak encouraging words to one another apart from being in one another's lives. Even when someone might be deaf to the promises of God, our presence embodies what they cannot yet hear, but we pray they will hear one day. When parents have lost a child, just simply sitting and being present with them will embody the message they need so desperately to hear. When a company reconfigures their internal structure and your position no longer exists, we need to not only speak the great promises of God, but we must also embody God's closeness by being with hurting people. Which means we got to know hurting people and they've got to trust us. And we've got to be faithful friends to them even before they are hurting so that they will trust us when they are hurting. A broken spirit means that we are often deaf to the promises of God. But it doesn't mean that we give up on the message. So if you know someone who has a broken spirit in them, it's going to be really difficult to bring the good news of the gospel for it to bear on their hearts. But notice what, what happens in our passage. Moses spoke it anyway. Even more, when Israel didn't listen, God had Moses work on their behalf by going to Pharaoh again. That's what really chapters 7 through 13 are all about. Israel didn't have the heart to hear the promises of God, and yet Moses spoke it to them anyway, and then Moses goes to Pharaoh again and again on their half before they were even able to listen. We keep living out the kingdom for the sake of others so that one day in the future, even when those around us have hard hearts and broken spirits, one day they will be able to hear the good news of Jesus and will have seen it embodied in our lives. Moses thought this was somewhat foolish, right? In verse 12, but God told him to go anyway. Even in our pain, when we did not yet know God's power, we did not yet know God's plan or his purpose, God works for us anyway. Moses continued to push back against God and his plan. And so Moses uses this phrase in, in verse 12 and then again in verse 30 of these uncircumcised lips to describe why he just can't obey God. What does Moses mean by uncircumcised lips? I think Moses just simply means he, he doesn't feel worthy to go. He's foreign to whom Pharaoh should, would listen to and therefore is afraid that, that Pharaoh just won't listen to Moses. And then this makes way for the need of Aaron to step in and help. The faltering, uncircumcised lips bring the importance of Aaron as an aid to Moses. And so God is reaffirming Moses' and Aaron's call to go and deliver Israel. And this is important because the crisis in Egypt has been heightened, okay? The labor and oppression has intensified. Israel's angry with Moses. Moses is angry with himself. He's upset with God. This is the hope of the gospel of Exodus that we see. God, motivated by love, must intervene with a mighty hand, verses 1 and 6, to deliver God's people and make them his through covenant, 
And so God sent Moses to declare God's judgment to the oppressors and to claim deliverance for his people. Our ill-equipped selves highlight God's unstoppable power. So trust God's plan by obeying his word. Let's look at this second part, the part you all have been waiting for. This, who is Moses and Aaron that they should be believed? The, verses 14 through 30 of Exodus chapter 6. The, the second part of Exodus 6 seems a little bit bizarre, but, but in reality, it's actually a perfectly placed and intentionally intrusive genealogy. Moses' confidence is faltering. Uh, things have been bad. What is about to happen? And then the screen goes to commercial break. Okay, this is the point of suspense. Well, what's going to happen with Israel and with Moses? Are they going to be delivered? So if you remember uh, the original Batman and Robin TV episodes from the 1960s, where at the end of every single episode, Batman and Robin are, are tied up and they're about to die. And then what does the narrator say? Can this be happening? Batman made into a human Frosty Freezy and Robin turning into a lime Frosty Freezy? Has the diabolical Mr. Freeze outwitted the dynamic duo? Hope for a miracle and stay frozen in your seats until tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. Right? This is the same type of cliffhanging, cliffhanger here. It's a break in the storyline. Uh, in part, it's to build suspense. Moses and Aaron are important for Israel. And the genealogy is showing why it is that they are. So there's a lot of names there. Many we don't know. But the genealogy itself focuses on the attention of the house of Levi, or, or the Levites, uh, to which Moses and Aaron belong to. And for the most part, th this, this genealogy is really, it's an incredible list of different Levites who served God in big ways through really important practical service. Phineas was this guy who was zealous for God. The sons of Korah helped write the, some of the Psalms, and, and they were in charge for, of decorating the interior of the tabernacle where God would dwell. The sons of Gershon took care of the tabernacle. They would take care of, of the curtains and the maintaining and the maintenance in different rooms. The sons of Merari were structural engineers for the tabernacle. Okay, these were all tasks that were essential to the worship of God for Israel. Now, I don't know what you normally do with genealogies. Uh, often, it's, it's really tempting for me to just kind of skip over that long list of names of people who I just don't know in the Bible. Once in a while, I'll read these names and think, what a weird name. Glad I didn't name my kid that. <laughs> how often it's hard to even read those names, right? And yet I'd actually encourage you to not just skip over it. I encourage you actually to read all the names because the list shows the faithfulness of the tribe of Levi to God. And so what Moses is doing is he's not just creating a, a list or, or a genealogy of Moses and Aaron, but he's actually recognizing that these are the people who would become the recipients of God's promises of Abraham way back in Genesis. So not too long ago, my family and I were in Dayton and we're going through Jennifer's grandfather's 
photos from many, many years ago. And there were boxes of these photos everywhere. And, and we're reading the names of, of these people on the back of the photos. I have now a Bible that I think his, so Jennifer's grandfather's great-great-grandmother had. It's in my office now. We're, and we see these lists of names that, that we're like, wow, this is incredible. This is, this is Jennifer's family tree here. And we see these photos looking back on, on significant events in her grandfather's life and, and those who he was connected to. And it was really interesting trying to figure out how they all go together. Well, those names were really important to us. We don't want to forget those names. Well, in a similar way, these names that are listed in the genealogy have great meaning when they're connected to us. So the list of names in Exodus 6 are not just a bunch of random people. They are Moses' people. They're his family, his blood relatives, his family's kin. These names were important and still are important for us since these people are part of the covenant promises of God with us. And so if there's one thing that we understand here in Southeastern Ohio, it's how you stick with family. It's how you keep with your clan. So when we think of Friendship Baptist Church, friends, we should not be thinking of it as a building. We should think of Friendship Baptist Church and think of faces and names and people. If we only think of Friendship Baptist Church as a vague name, then our love and desire for them to continue to grow in Christ is going to be vague also. When we say Friendship Baptist Church, we should think the Blags, the Blanchards, the Bloods, the Boyds, the Bywaters, the, the Caldwells, the, the Davidsons, the Elliots, the Fredericis, the Foxes, the Gosnells, the Hardys, the Kellys. I mean, we could keep going on and on, right? I didn't list everyone. We could have. But when we think of Friendship Baptist Church, we should be thinking of faces and names and relationships together and even thinking of how God has worked in their lives. That's why the Christian life is not about loose acquaintances, but brothers and sisters as family, as a covenant family together. That should motivate us to serve for one another's good. Because deeply desiring for Christ to be magnified in our family is important. I want, above all things, for my children to not know things about Jesus to where they become the, the typical pastor's kid that rebels and hates God the rest of his life. Instead, I want them to not just know things about God, but to love him and to trust him more than I want them to have a good job. And I talk to Adeline about having a good job all the time. Just ask her what I tell her that she has to be when she grows up. Okay, I, I want her to be healthy in society. I want her to have healthy relationships. I want her to do well in school. And none of it matters if she is gonna be eternally away from Jesus. Friends, I want the same thing for you all. I want you to have a good job. I want you to be able to pay your bills. I want you to be living in community together with your neighbors, enjoying your time together. I want your kids to succeed in school I want us to enjoy our time, but most of all, I want you to be transformed by the powerful love of God in Christ. Friends, that is why we are a family together. That's why it's good for us to deeply desire for Christ to be magnified in our lives. 
that's actually just the heart of gospel partnership. That's at the heart of why we gather together for worship and why we think that's better than staying home on Sundays. Because when we gather together, we as the bride of Christ, as the church displays the manifold wisdom of God to the onlooking world and in the spiritual realm. Something unique that my living room cannot do. The genealogy matters here because it's not a group of random people. They are God's people. And they are the blood and kin of Moses, which gives him motivation to go before Pharaoh to be used as God's instrument. How do we grow in our affection of one another to desire to work for one another's spiritual good? To get to the point to where we say, boy, I don't feel like coming to church but I need to for the sake of my brothers and sisters. And I want to for their sake so that they can see the faithfulness of Christ instead. How do we grow in our affection for one another so that we can desire to work for one another's spiritual good? I think it starts by praying for one another through the church directory. One page per day for what corresponds to the day of the month. And over time, you begin looking for how God is answering your prayers in that particular person or or church family. Also, being with one another in events together, serving together, sharing life together, not just on Sunday mornings together, but as a community, we will grow in our affections for one another. Certainly, by this time, everyone has heard of Kobe Bryant's death a couple weeks ago. I watched an interview about why he would fly in helicopters in the first place, right? The LA traffic was so bad. He'd sit there for hours trying to pick up his kids from school and it was cutting into his time of of work and trying to be with them. And so he decided he was gonna fly in a helicopter to have more time with them. And then at one point in the interview, he said, instead of waiting for hours to get them, I could get there in 15 to 20 minutes and have more time with them. You know, my wife offered to pick them up from school and I was like, no, this is important. Each moment of time we can spend together is important. How would our care for one another grow if this was our heart towards one another as a body? We don't begrudgingly go to an event. We eagerly go for the building up of one another because we are family together. Moses ends this section of Exodus chapter six by affirming his lack of ability. It could be referring to something different. I just think Moses is dragging up the same old excuses again. Moses keeps forgetting that it is God who made his lips. God had already promised Moses to teach him all that he would need to say. God had already brought Moses' brother on board to help. And so ultimately, God wasn't asking Moses He was commanding him in verse 26 to be obedient to God's calling. To be in covenant with God is to have God's assignment. The essence of belonging to God is God's people reflecting the character of their Lord and is obedient to his purposes. In fact, actually, pagan idolatry embodied the idea back then that you could be in a good relationship with a particular God by how generous of worship you gave it, like how much food you sacrificed to it. 
But the God of the Christian Bible insists that our obedience to his commands is connected to the worship of God. God was calling Moses to obey and to go back to Pharaoh. Ultimately, it's helpful for us to know that it isn't what Aaron or Moses say or don't say that will convince Pharaoh. It will be God's power displayed that ultimately convinces Pharaoh. It is only the power of God that can deliver God's people. God will step in. God will bring the plagues. God will show his superiority over every Egyptian God. And Israel will march out victoriously without even lifting a sword. Our ill-equipped selves highlight God's unstoppable power. So we need to trust God's plan by obeying his word. So God's commitment to his people included the strongest vows displayed by his unstoppable power for us. I wonder how our vows of commitment should reflect God's commitment towards us. I wonder how we, even when we feel ill-equipped, can trust God's unstoppable power and how even when we feel like it's not gonna do any good, we say yes to God anyway and trust what he calls us to do. Let's spend just a few moments responding to God's word so that we are never just hearers of God's word, but we are hearers and doers of it. Let's ask God what we need to to change in our lives this week so that we can more faithfully live out Exodus 6. And I'll close this in prayer and the band will lead us in another song. Heavenly Father, it's so easy to forget how trustworthy you are, how truly good you are. And God, it's so easy to see our circumstances as greater than our Savior. But God, thank you that Christ has conquered everything, including death, so that there is Nothing in all creation that could separate us from your love in Christ. God, thank you that Christ died for the penalty of our sins and was raised from the dead for our salvation. Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember your covenant promises, that you would help us to remember your goodness, and that God, that that would fuel our trust in you that our trust in you would be unwavering, unwilling to change because we know of how good you are. God, no matter how ill-equipped we feel, Lord, would you work your covenant promises in us. We pray in Christ's name, amen. If you're here this morning and you're not sure, if you know the transforming, delivering power and love of God, Come find me afterward. I would love to sit down and talk with you about that. I'd love for you to know the very thing that I want my children to know above everything else. And the same thing I want you all to know as well. Well, here at our benediction this morning, 
from Ephesians chapter 3, which says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Have a good rest of your Lord's Day.